Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you, along with Judd Zolgad. And I had to bring in Judd out here at TCO Performance Center because the panic level along the offensive line just went from yellow to orange and all the way to red with the news today that Nick Easton is going on IR, the Vikings' starting left guard. And that means, Judd, as of this moment, we do not know who will be the starting left guard for the 2018 season. So, where is your panic level at this moment? Well, it's not just the panic. I mean, my panic is fairly high because this whole thing seems to be trending offensive line-wise, Matthew Collar, in a very bad direction. It's not my panic, though. It's the frustration. It's a frustration when you sit there watching the draft and you say to yourself, okay, you're going to draft a guard in the first round because you have what appears to be a Super Bowl-ready roster. Okay, Rick, pull the... Oh, you took a cornerback. Okay, I sort of get that. I like cornerbacks. That's a, a good idea. So day two of the draft comes around because then you know that Rick is going to trade up in the second round and take one of those guards who... Oh, you're going to get cute. You're going to stay in your pick, and you're going to take an offensive tackle, a project guy? Uh, I'd say right now as we talk... My panic has been is basically on the back shelf. It's my frustration. I hate when you can first guess something. And basically what, what Spielman and Zimmer and the entire organization did with a team, once again, that in my mind had large components of a Super Bowl-prepared roster with a new quarterback who doesn't move exceptionally well, they looked at the football gods and said, bleep you, we're going to do it our way. And you know what the football gods say? They say, no, bleep you. And now Easton's out. Elfline's still not back. I'm, I'm sure he should be back fairly soon. Uh, your, right, uh, your right guard was your right tackle, and he's hurt. So I would say right now I'm far more frustrated with the incompetence of what was done than the actual panic. So on draft night, we sat here and talked about it, and we've talked about it quite a bit, that James Daniels and Will Hernandez and Connor Williams were all first-round prospects in a lot of people's minds, and they could have drafted them there, or several of them could have traded up on draft night to get into that second round in the middle of it to take one of those players and end up have a guy who would be their starting right guard and feel solidified in that position you know, it's not just that Easton is out that's a concern. And let me first say that I have been very high on Nick Easton, um, not because he is the most powerful guy or a physical freak like some offensive linemen, but I think he is a guy that earned a lot of respect from the players. And he is also athletic, and he's got good wheels. There was a, a play against... Uh, Detroit, there's you know other plays throughout the season that I can point to that I've looked at on tape and written about that Nick, the one against Chicago, the Bears at Soldier Field, where he got out in front of uh, Jarek McKinnon for a 50-something yard touchdown. He was really good at creating explosive plays. So even if on a play-to-play basis he wasn't always dominating his guy, he played a key role in a lot of the biggest plays they had last year. And you do not have that in Danny Isidora. You do not have that in Tom Compton for sure, because we can go look at the tape and you will not see him getting to the second level at the same as at the same rate as Easton and having that type of success. So he is important. But my concern is still more about the right tackle position right now than it is about left guard, just by the value of what someone brings to the table. 
So if Riley Reef stays healthy this year, which is a big if since he's been injured at different times the last two seasons, you might be able to fill in the left guard and just hang on for dear life. They have been able to do that at times in the past. There are teams who can do that. Um, but at right tackle, Rashad Hill is coming back from an illness. Brian O'Neill is not ready yet. And so now you're not just talking about one question mark because one guy got hurt. You go into a season knowing someone will get hurt. They get hurt on every single team. But your center has question marks because he was supposed to be back at the beginning of training camp. It still isn't back now. That was the same story as Latavius Murray last year, and it took Murray five, six weeks before he was the same guy. And then when you go to the right guard, Remmers is already dinged up. Last year, Remmers missed time with a concussion, and then he missed time with back issues. And now he's got an ankle injury. So there's three problems that he's had. And then you go out to the right tackle and you think that Rashad Hill is pretty solid, but he certainly isn't great. And you start off the first five weeks with four teams with great defensive lines. And this is where you start to go. Okay. Now I'm getting anxious. If you just told me about one guy being out, you mean, okay, all right, well we planned for that. You fill in another guy and maybe he can hang on. But when you're talking about question marks at three or four positions and Riley Reef is the only one you're really sure about, that's when you start to feel like it's 2016 again. And that was going to be my point. Do you not, if, if you're Spielman and Zimmer and this entire organization, do you not recall that 2016? I mean, two years ago, you start off five and oh, and your offensive line starts to get dinged up. And it wasn't great to start off with, but it starts to get dinged up and you fall apart. And part, and part of the primary reason why you fall apart is because your offensive line had had guys get hurt and had backups who couldn't hack it. I mean, T.J. Clemmings was face-planting. It's that simple. And it, here's the other thing, though. that I mean, this is the type of stuff that just drives me crazy because it's, it's in front of you. All right. We all agree that Case Keenum overachieved in 2017, and it was a great year, and congratulations to him, and a feel-good story. But we all agreed, you know what, I can see the Vikings' point. You go out and you sign a quarterback who you think is better. And really the one thing Case had that, that Kirk doesn't have is the ability to scramble and throw. And so you're thinking to yourself on draft night once again, Matthew, you're thinking to yourself, okay, what, what are you going to do to make up for the fact that Cousins has a liability here that Case didn't? You're going to protect him really well. And you remember 2016 because that was just two years ago. And so you're going to make damn sure that you don't make similar mistakes. And you make the same mistakes. I mean – Kirk Cousins, and listen, I don't feel bad for him for one second. $84 million guaranteed over three years is a great deal. So I don't feel bad for him. But you are basically setting him up to fail now because you're asking him to do what he's comfortable doing. I'm going to drop back. I'm going to look at all my options, and I need as much offensive line protection as possible, and you're not going to give that to him? Like, this makes no sense. It just it doesn't. This defies logic to me. This defies common sense in the fact that you're making this huge investment in this quarterback and you know exactly what the price of poker with that guy is. And you sort of just said, we'll wing it. We'll get by. And listen, I am a huge believer, and some people call me crazy, in sports karma and not defying the sports gods. And I'm really convinced that when you look at them and say, you know what, we still know best, they look at you and say, okay, Here's going to be your lesson. And right now what the Vikings are setting themselves up to do to a certain degree is in some ways repeat 2016 when they've got that lesson in their back pocket. How can you not learn from it? Well, I think that even if you don't look at it through a sports gods lens, you just look at it as sort of playing the odds. I mean, when you have Joe Berger retire, you lose there a very solid offensive lineman that when he was playing center, he was one of the best in the league in 2016, despite everything around him being bad. And then he moves to guard and is very solid there. A, a good starter who played the whole year, and if you needed to, in a pinch, he could move over to center, he or Nick Easton, and so some versatility was a positive there. But So you're not really down just one guy now. You're kind of down two guys if Brian O'Neill isn't really in this picture. And from what I see... You could take the risk with Brian O'Neill playing right tackle, but I don't think you want to. He's such a great athlete that you could get him on screens and you could get him on those zone runs, but there will also be times where some great edge rusher is going to basically just knock him off his feet, and that's not something you want to see for a guy in his first year. He comes across like a guy who's very grounded and confident, but that's for now in practice where you could just go, oops, got beat. 
not when your quarterback's laying on the ground for the fifth time in a single game like T.J. Clemmings, and then you lose all possible confidence. And I think O'Neal is a better offensive line prospect than Clemmings by a huge margin right. and has a chance to be a really good NFL player. But this is not his fault. But he's not ready. He's a project. Right, right exactly. So you are down then now two starting offensive linemen from last year. It isn't just Nick Easton. This is kind of the domino effect. And when you don't draft someone, you are testing fate. You are testing the odds that someone gets hurt, yeah, exactly. and then all of a sudden you've got to shuffle in a bunch of different ways, and that's where we stand right now. So I guess the next step is what is the answer here? I can tell you that Danny Isadora has at times impressed Mike Zimmer, so there is that. And Nick Easton was undrafted, and he turned into a pretty solid left guard. So it's not an impossible position for someone like Aviante Collins, who's filled in there, or Danny Isadora, to surprise us and play pretty well. I don't look at him in practice and say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to dominate, uh, but maybe he could be solid there. Tom Compton, I think, is a guy you don't want to start a lot of games because we've seen that. The other options are Jari Evans who is a free agent. I really like that option. He's a veteran. He's done this a million times. He did it for Green Bay last year and was solid. Luke Jokel is more of a, like, roll the dice. Maybe yeah. Luke Jokel, former like number two idea. overall pick. Yeah. He was decent in run blocking in Jacksonville in 2016, but last year was a disaster for the Seahawks. Sure. Not really a guy that I'm that interested in, but you might be in roll the dice mode here. And then what gets brought up a lot on Twitter to me and through email is, who can we possibly trade for? And that's just, yeah. maybe you get to the end of camp and someone loses their job somewhere. Yeah. Someone gets beat out by a rookie, something like that. And John Sullivan, John Sullivan ended up with Washington after the Vikings cut him and he played okay. And then he was good with the Rams last year, still in the league, that guy. So that might be, if I'm going to guess one potential option, it would be a veteran gets cut somewhere or they get to the end and a rookie beats someone out and a team says, okay, we'll trade him to you for a fifth round pick. Those are the only options right now. And I think it's pretty much at left guard, hang on for dear life and hope nothing else goes wrong, which it certainly could. The uh, Evans idea I like, at least bringing him in for a look, I think that's a very smart move. I think ultimately what you're going to see probably within the next couple of weeks, though, is you go and, and you trade for a backup guard who you've liked and scouted. I think that's it. And listen, to your point, I agree completely. If this was if this was a well-constructed offensive line and one guy gets hurt, that's going to happen. It happens all the time. That's bad luck. It's unfortunate, but it's the norm. Uh, so... My frustration is the fact that this is several moves not made and moves not addressed and trying to get cute by moving your right tackle, who was just fine there, to right guard and taking a guy who was a good backup tackle and now trying to make him your starter. But I, I think among the options that you just threw out, my guess is that they're going to try and make a, a trade for a backup guard on a team uh, based on the fact that there's a very good chance that they'll identify uh, somebody that they think will be cut in the roster reductions, mm -hmm. but that because of the predicament that they're in and where the Vikings fall on the wire, uh, that guy would probably be claimed by another team trying to screw the Vikings. And so I think the Vikings are going to have to, they're going to have to sort of get ahead of that game and, and make a trade for a guy. And they're going to probably have to give up a draft pick, which is exactly, I mean, this is, I get taking a cornerback first round because they're hard to find and, and good ones, good ones just don't come along in the third or fourth round. We know that. But I think what they could have done was certainly they could have traded up at the beginning of the second round back in April uh, and given up a draft pick or draft picks to do that. And I think ultimately now what they're going to have to do is give up a draft pick or draft picks to get a backup card. And the part that's frustrating about that, just to keep going back to draft night, is that they didn't see it coming. That the quotes after that from multiple Vikings people were, wow, we've never seen this before. But all the draft analysts said this is a special draft for offensive linemen. Yep. So in a special draft for offensive linemen, you didn't get one of the better prospects when it was your only major need. It was and, hubris. And, and, and plus, it, it's, a, it's hubris and it's a philosophical viewpoint that they are always going to do things the way they're going to do things, which ordinarily is fine. Listen, I'm all for that you take the best guy out, out there. That's great. Except once in a while, you've got a special team and you say to yourself, okay, where does this special team need, need help? This, mm -hmm. year, this year, for at least a round or two, we're going to do things different. And they didn't do that. And, and nine times out of ten, if you want to take the cornerback or you don't want to trade the picks to get up in the second round, 
I might get frustrated, but I get that. But this is a case where there's a, there's a couple things they did that scream Spielman type of moves that drive me crazy. One is what, what we've been talking about extensively here. The other move is trading up in the fifth round to take a kicker and introducing possibly a rookie kicker who didn't have a great senior season in college to a team that once again is on the precipice, you would hope, of a Super Bowl. It's those type of moves that ordinarily I don't care, but after 13-3 and three and signing Cousins, you say to yourself, I think your approach, at least for 2018, has to be different. And they trade also out of the third round where that might have been another situation to get someone that would act as depth for another project player in, in Jalen Holmes. So they went entirely for guys that were projects, including Mike Hughes, all the way across the board, is that that entire draft was going to make no impact on this team. That wasn't what I would have thought going into that draft. I would have thought, let's get as many players who can play this year or at least provide quality depth and really they came away with nothing in terms of improvement unless someone gets hurt and then someone else gets hurt and then maybe someone else gets hurt, then Mike Hughes plays. <laughs> now he's been he's been good and he's been impressive and the guy can really move. So I, I don't want to pretend right. like he's not a great player. Like right. he looks like he's a very, very good prospect. And ultimately I think the plan was to eventually let Trey Waynes go and have Mike Hughes be the starter out there. That would be my guess is what the long-term plan was. Right. But in this situation, long-term plans have to sometimes go out the window. So we're going to keep going back to that, unfortunately, because at at that moment, on that night, we knew this was the That's si- situation that could happen. The most important thing to keep in mind is it's a complete first guess. Like yeah. there's no Nick Easton got hurt and you didn't have a backup left. This was, this is a complete first guess. So I'm going to go through best case scenario here with this offensive line, okay. just from position to position. So Riley Reef, who has been dinged up at times, best case scenario is that he is an average left tackle in the league with above average run blocking ability and you know solid leadership, all that sort of stuff. I've been extremely impressed with how Reef carries himself. I could see why they wanted him. Best case that left guard is that either Aviante Collins or Danny Isadora steps up to the plate. I don't think they want Tom Compton starting 16 games. Pat Elfline comes back quick and is a star. I already think he's a star. If I had to guess, his pro football focus grades for the first five weeks will be awful this year. And then second half of the year, they'll be great because he'll be back to 100% shape. And he's a good player. He, to I, me, a is player. a guy who he'll, he'll play for 10 years. That was a great pick. It's a fin- fantastic pick. To their credit. But almost probably influenced them. That was a bad offensive line draft, and he kind of got overlooked. Yep. But that almost might have influenced them to say, well, we got to start in the third round so we can get one in the second. But it was different. Best case at right guard is that Mike Remmers is one of the best run blockers in the league. I think he has that potential. He is not a great pass blocker from the inside, but you can manage that. And the best case at right tackle is probably just that Rashad Hill is below average and not awful. That's the best you could go for. And I think if we put it like that, you can survive with this offensive line and still get the ball to your weapons and have a reasonably decent offense but maybe not an offense that maximizes what you could have had by adding either a free agent yep. or by adding a draft. And this also goes back to what we've discussed a thousand times now, which is the way that Cousins plays this game, can these guys protect him sufficiently so he doesn't make hurried, panic, dumb throws? Right. Because, I mean, that that is the one – that is what – of, of all the things you said – you probably didn't think that Case Keenum could carry over from uh, 17 to 18. The one thing that you did say was he can throw on the run. Like, he can scramble mm-hmm. and buy time. And that's going to be true for a, a few years going uh, forward. So I guess the question now is, does some of the throws that Cousins made for Washington, which were certainly not great at times, do those type of throws come back now because the protection isn't consistently there? And to that one, I got no idea, but I wouldn't have put him in this position to find out. So let's talk about Case a little bit. Case and Teddy and Zam, because they're facing Case on Saturday night. <laughs> Sounds like a song from the 60s. And Case, Teddy, and Sam. So here's, like, now that we've had time to be away from Case for a little bit. Yeah. And think about, and maybe this goes for almost anybody in your life, where if you're not around him all the time, you miss him a little. And you think, hmm, maybe I liked her more than I thought, you know? Uh, and with Case Keenum, put up against 
Kirk Cousins, sort of seeing that back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And we got this nice look as reporters at up close how all of these quarterbacks acted, interacted with their teammates and how they played, and we dove so deep into the intricacies of their game. The things that I liked about Case Keenum very much where his personality was a number one. I think they got a great person and somebody who's very sincere. And I don't try to usually figure that out with, with guys, but I think in this case it was very sincere. I, they got someone who's excellent in the red zone and they got someone who could go off script and make special plays. That's what is interesting about Kirk cousins because his shortcomings are Case Keenum's strengths. And Case Keenum's shortcomings are Kirk Cousins' strengths. Being able to get the ball out fast, being able to fire the ball down the field 30 or 40 yards. I mean, he has made some spectacular throws. They're not quite Sam Bradford level, but they're almost there. I mean, he can really throw the football. And so I'm very, very interested, not really in this preseason game, to see them go head-to-head, but to follow through the season how Keenum's shortcomings show up in Denver and how... Cousins' strengths show up here and what that means toward actually winning football games. It's interesting, too. Now, in Cousins' defense, I will say this. He comes, you know, Bradford plays great week one against the Saints last year and gets hurt, and Keenum comes in week two in Pittsburgh, and it's not good, and we're thinking to ourselves, oh, this is trouble. I mean, this this season's lost, which in some ways played right into Keenum's hand because then the pressure is almost off. And so Keenum had the ability, he had the ability, uh, and I give him credit for this, to roll with with the punches, i.e. his coach on a consistent basis saying, I don't believe what I'm seeing. And and his personality allowed him to be relaxed and even keel and all the things that you probably want in a quarterback. Cousins comes in here with immense pressure. Like Mm -hmm. he comes in here as the cherry on the top, right or wrong, of this is a Super Bowl team with a Super Bowl defense, now go do this. Uh, Cousins comes in with a, with, a much different circumstance. Uh, I do think that Keenum's going to, and I don't, I don't want to say he's going to fall off the table. I think he's going to regress, but I think it's going to be very interesting to watch Kirk here with the Vikings and try and deal with, with this pressure. And I think to your point about missing a person too, or an athlete or a quarterback too, what we're going to see is, there's going to be times where Kirk drops back to throw and stands there and the pressure starts to come in and there's nothing there and he doesn't really survey things right and forces the ball and it gets picked. And the Viking fan base is going to be like, Kesaw was scrambled and mm-hmm. made that throw. Not to mention the fact that, that the Vikings had a veteran offensive coordinator in 17 working with Keenum and now, now I mean, Flip might be a great guy. Seems like a great guy, but he's a quarterback's coach, made a coordinator. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different pressures now on this offense that didn't exist before and and it's going to be up to Cousins to handle those and do a very good job and that's that's what I'm curious about cuz Cousins has spent his whole career basically going back to college with the Spartans of being the 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 underdog the guy that could people don't believe but I can do it people believe now Kirk mm-hmm. and people are going to say do it and if you don't there's going to be pushback and it's going to be very intriguing from my standpoint, to see how he does with that. Because Keenum always had the advantage a year ago of being able to say, up to my head coach, people people don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And Kirk Cousins doesn't ha- have that. Three years, $84 million guaranteed. The expectation is go do it, and it should end in Atlanta. So you bring up an interesting point with John Filippo not really having a lot of experience calling plays. He called them for a 3-13 and team that did not do very well on offense, 30th in points in offense with the Cleveland Browns. But as Pat Shermer taught us, you can never judge how anyone does with the Cleveland Browns. because. Right. But Shermer had been an offensive coordinator all sorts of times before, had lots of experience, and you knew that he knew what he was doing. And he, you could go back and look through the different times where he had been good in his career, and he came from the Bill Walsh coaching tree. And so when he was named the offensive coordinator, it was pretty much like, okay, well, you know that this guy's got this great relationship with Bradford. They're going to run West Coast. And then we discovered he's this great play caller who has way more innovation than we thought he had. In the red zone, too. Especially which, in the red which zone. Which we have seen a ton of guys in this town fail at. Yes. So now with Filippo, yesterday Kirk Cousins was going through all the different guys who have called plays for him in the past. Listen to this list. 
Kyle Shanahan, who is now the head coach at San Francisco and was the offensive coordinator of one of the best offenses of all time with the Atlanta Falcons. He had Sean McVay, wonderkin man who was in L.A. and completely turned around their franchise. Yep. And Jay Gruden, who helped him have one of the best offenses in the league in terms of the yards he put up over the past few years. And Gruden has long been known as an offensive guru. And now he's got a guy who is not as experienced and has only done this once. I'm not saying that this is going to blow up in his face or anything, but in terms of if you're kind of comparing and contrasting what Cousins is going to go through as opposed to Keenum last year, Keenum knew the guy calling plays for him knew exactly what he was doing. There was complete confidence in that room in Pat Shermer, and they were all... I mean, they were all behind him. If you had, if you talked to anybody with Shermer and impressed with how he did his work with DiFilippo, he's got to prove himself here, and that's just different. So I think that there is a, a big adjustment period for Kirk Cousins to this situation that he doesn't really realize yet or hasn't hit yet that we're going to be looking very closely at. And with Keenum out in Denver, I think that they'll really fall in love with his personality and he will make some wow plays that they're really going to like. That division is so tough. If that division was easy, I would say, yeah, they could win it with their defense and he can do enough, but that is just a really, really tough division. Let me throw this at you. Where does Teddy Bridgewater get traded? That's a great question, and I I saw a Pro Football Talk item again last night, I think picking up a report from the Daily News in New York that, that the Jets, again, are trying to put his name out there. I think... It might be a bit premature. Uh, the the one team that comes to mind, and they've got a quarterback. He's suspended now, but I don't know if he's the, their guy. Tampa Bay. Yeah. Jameis Winston, I, I have no clue about. But personality-wise, does he strike me as your long-term quarterback? Absolutely not. Um, if I'm Tampa Bay, get Teddy back home. No, no I, I know he, that he's a Miami kid, but still, in Florida. Right. Uh, the Dolphins, uh, possibly. Tannehill, you, you don't know. I mean... The Dolphins could be in a situation where Gaze gets fired after the season. Tannehill might not be the long-term guy. Teddy, I think I think if I'm the Jets, though, I slow cook this big time. Like, I'm not anxious to trade him. I mean, what what's wrong? You got, you got three QBs. That's fine. Uh, I slow cook this thing as much as possible. But I think there's some good options out there for him. Uh, but I would say the Tampa Bay keeps coming back to mind because I don't think Jameis Winston is the long-term guy there. There are very few teams in the league that have big quarterback questions, which is really unique. Usually we go into a season and a bunch of teams do, but there was just a big draft with all sorts of quarterbacks taken. So when I look up and down, I have a tough time finding out which team would like really need him. You almost, like you said, have to wait until somebody gets hurt or really struggles. Jacksonville makes the most sense to me. Sure. Blake Bortles is a bad NFL quarterback, and they have a great roster. They are a Teddy Bridgewater away from being a significant contender. It's Doug Marone, though. I don't think you, you want to wish Doug Marone on anybody, no, according to you at least. Well, that yeah. I mean, when he had veteran players calling him out in training camp in Buffalo for right? his last season, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a um, place to get called out. He, he was a tough guy to deal with, uh, but... If you're him, though, if you're Doug and you really want to show that you can repeat what you did last year, that it wasn't a schedule fluke or anything right. like that, are you really running Blake Bortles out wh- there? Why'd they stick with him? I don't know. That's what I don't get. I that's what, do not know. That's what intrigues me about, so, about certain teams in this league is they continue to repeat mistakes. It's like Blake Bortles just is not your guy. Like, right. like you were, your defense is great. Your team's pretty damn good. You almost made the Super Bowl and with a competent quarterback probably could have. Why are you sticking with Blake Bortles? Like, I can't answer that question. So it's just hard for me. It's hard for me now to fathom them making the right decision when they should have made the right decision probably in March, which is Blake Bortles just ain't the guy. Right. You can see that. And Teddy was right there to just bring in and compete with them. And then Teddy would have beat him for the job and you're good to go. Yes. Because right now I've been following closely the Jets reports and he's playing a lot with the first team and it looks like he's playing extremely well. So it's only training camp. We don't know how his knee's going to hold up for a full season, but if you're a team that has a Super Bowl caliber roster, you should be interested in him if you have Blake Bortles as your quarterback. With Sam Bradford, do you think he's going to win the job? Yes, I think he'll win it, but I don't. But I think he's about a four-week guy. 
Is he the the Mike Glennon here? Yes. Yeah, I think he wins the job. I think I think the new procedure now, if you can do it, is veteran quarterback starts the season, and then about a quarter of the way into that year, he gets replaced. So I think Bradford wins the job. I think Bradford, unless they do fantastic, I think he gets the early starts. But I think the transition takes place about four or five games in. And with Sam, who knows? He could play 16. Yeah. He could be out after two. He could be in the Pro Bowl. Yeah. I mean, you just don't know. He's got, if they can, if he doesn't get hurt. But I mean, the, the amazing thing is week one of last year, he got hurt. We still don't really know what happened. Right. Like he just showed up on the injury report. The next thing you know, he played one, one half in Chicago the rest of the season, and that was it. Right. So, like, there, there was no defining play in week one against the Saints where you're like, oh, my God, that's so unfortunate that Bradford tore his knee up again. He just got hurt, was on the in- injury report, and the next thing you know, he's basically done. So that one in Arizona could turn out any uh, number of ways. Uh, Stefan Diggs and Xavier Rhodes got into it a bit out here at training camp. Mike Zimmer sent them both home. I am not surprised by this happening. I love it, actually. Um, if I'm the Vikings, I'm thrilled. I mean, th- these guys are $70 million players, but they compete like they're practice squad but don't guys. you love that? Oh, yeah. Like no, that, I, I like that about uh, both players. That's fantastic. Yeah. And if they and if they, they were, were sent home because the coach was afraid that there might be a fight the next day in practice. That's fine. They don't need to practice. Right. But if I'm the Vikings, I'm thrilled. I can't tell you how many horse bleep corners and receivers I've watched on practice fields in Mankato and Eden Prairie and been like, these guys should be cut and sent home immediately. <laughs> so if I have two basically Pro Bowl players mm-hmm. fighting it out and getting mad and, and the cornerback trying to stay on the field and take third-team reps, yeah, it's sort of weird, but I'm absolutely thrilled by that if I'm the Vikings. That's the reason that both of these guys are superstars, I think, yes, I is that it's not only that they push each other on the field, which they definitely do, that everyone gets better because they get to go up against Xavier Rhodes in practice, but because they compete at that high of a level. And Xavier Rhodes asked him, all right, so what did you do during practice yesterday then? He said he went back and just watched film the whole time. Yeah. And then he watched the entire practice back. And, like, that's how these guys are. Which is Zimmer there. knows, too. He, yeah. he knows if I boot them, they're going to go do something constructive. Right, right, right. And then, you know, after they settle down and everything else, it's sort of just back to being teammates because that's who these guys are. Stefan digs in the locker room, gets in an argument with someone almost every day. I mean, I don't mean like fighting. I right. mean like play fighting, right. like it's a smart dude. D- debating, you yeah, know, what, something like that. And it sort of gets loud and they kind of yell at each other. I mean, like, yeah, he's a smart guy and he's extremely competitive. That's just who he is. And is a, that goes for both guys. Here's my question for you. These teams in this league put in millions of dollars in, in studies, right? Yep. Like we bring this doctor in to talk to this player at the combine. And then we get that doctor and we get to sit down with you. And we ask you 84 questions centered on things from football to your sexuality, to your parents. Okay. So whether you like peanut butter or dogs, how do you miss on digs. Yeah. Like, but cause he's a, he's a incredibly smart man. Like how do you, with all of this money invested, how do you not say, okay, he's been hurt. But look at how smart this kid is. Yep. Like this, I don't under, but I don't understand with the amount of investment. How do you, how do you have this kid fall five rounds? Like, how does somebody not say, you know what, this kid's worth a third round pick based on his intelligence alone? Like, you fall in love, so you invest all of this money, and you fall in love with Cordell Patterson. God bless him, <laughs> unbelievable athlete, right? But like, you fall in love with him. We got to draft him because look at this film. But supposedly behind the scenes, you also talk to him. He also took all this testing, right? But you take him in the first round because, my God, look at that talent. But with Diggs, supposedly you're spending all of this time, energy, and money to try and find who's really smart and who who knows what they're doing. And you just, you know, he falls five rounds. The league whiffs, basically. Right. I don't get that. With Diggs, it's a little bit like Russell Wilson where they let the frame get in the way of the football and, and the injuries. I mean, he had been dinged up sure. at times and he's been dinged up in the NFL at times, but not enough to say he's not a great player. I mean, like just a couple round. games. I think that they saw him as a slot only guy, which is hysterical now, right. right? Like, okay. Yeah, right. He was on the outside last year. He's one of the best receivers and most efficient in the NFL, Yes, but with his height, they kind of looked at him like, oh, he's not going to be able to beat press corners, which he does. But another part of it, too, and, and this is why the draft is such a cluster bleep, because you don't know how someone is going to mature when they get here. 
when they get a little confidence or they see how it's done and how they adapt to that. Because like, here's a good example. So Brian O'Neill and I were talking the other day about getting beat. And he was saying that Pat Elfline told him, when you come here, you have to realize in practice, Daniil Hunter is going to embarrass you. Linval Joseph is going to embarrass you. It's going to happen quite a bit. And how you deal with that will define you as an NFL <laughs> player because in college you didn't get beat and you didn't go through things like that. Now, one of the things with Stefan Diggs is that he went through a lot growing up. And there's something to that with these players. And I've seen it a number of times here. It doesn't mean you have to go through things in order to succeed. But Teddy Bridgewater is a great example of shaping him as a human being. And with Stefan Diggs, this guy lost his dad. He went through injuries in high school. He has basically been the man of the house for a long time. Like he looked at this opportunity as his one way to provide for his family. I think somebody like that is just wired differently. And, and then you add his natural IQ. But and this all goes to my question to you, which is how do you, if you're yeah. a team that does all of this, spends all of this time and money on doctors and psychologists and, and evaluations that are supposed to go beyond football, how do you miss that? I think it's the frame. I think that they focus too much on that stuff. But sometimes. then they should read, then they yep. should spend their money differently or re redefine their practices. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and all these, and there is so, there is such a thing as having too much information. And when you yeah, look at, that when you look at all right this here. data, one of the things that I love doing is looking at relative athletic scores at the draft and looking at how TJ Clemmings isn't that far away from him, this superstar player. Yep. It's like, well, so they saw that and went, oh, well, all right, so he could be that player. But they didn't know that Clemmings was never going to get the technique down. They didn't know that Clemmings had no confidence and had it destroyed in 2015 and never got it back. Yep. And that's the thing is that Diggs is like this perfect combination of competitive, intelligent, driven, has something in his background that pushes him and then has this natural talent too. He ran a four, four. So it's not like he's slow, right, but he cares but, about a route, but he takes this and then, right. He's a tactician, right? So you take all this other stuff and then you kind of combine right. it together. It's it's basically all these boxes have to be checked off, and you can't really know in college because they're all going to be good in college. Which is why you supposedly are, spent all of this extra time trying to vet the system. I, I mean, if, if I was looking, if I was a, a GM in this league looking for a receiver, the number one thing I would say is, don't come back to me and say that this kid's a freak and can run fast, and, and he, he's an athletic marvel. Because that's all well and good. Can he run a route? Yeah, and if he can't run a route, yep. he's going to be no use. I mean, you na you name me current day, any top receiver who's not a tactician now. Yeah, right. Like, like can you name me one no. Cordero Patterson who you're like, well, he can't really run a route, but I guess if we send him deep, he can catch the ball once in a while. Those guys don't exist now, right? I mean, they might have at one time, but they no. don't now. That's right. Every one of these guys That's can make right. one-handed catches. They're tacticians, and they all can run these unbelievable routes, which which we take for uh, granted as being easy, but they're very, very intricate. Yeah, no, that and that is the one thing that is consistent. But then again, there's even another element to it, that even if you can run a route effectively, if you can't get off the line of scrimmage, if you don't understand the plays, oh, if you don't yeah. understand how to read defenses. I think it all like, goes together, though, right? And, and that's why in the draft, how can you blame any of these people for missing on a guy? Because – how can you know in a 10-minute interview at the Combine in a hotel where the kid's nervous and he's 21 whether he's over the next five years going to develop that. on, oh, man, I got some time again with Diggs at the senior bowl. Oh, I yeah, did yeah, this yeah. and I did yeah. that. And if you do all that, then, then at least I think you could pick up on personalities. I think it, I still will, will always think this, that if you took – we're just talking draft busts or not busts. I'm not talking about, hey, they should have drafted an offensive lineman this year because I think that's clear they should sure. have. But if you took all the names of all the first-round guys, just like everyone who Mel Kuyper graded as a first-rounder, second-rounder, third-rounder, fourth-rounder, and you just shook them up in a box, laid them out on the ground, and whoever was available when it got to you, you just picked one at total random out of a box, you would do just as well as a lot of these teams drafting. And every <laughs> one of them, every one of them will spend millions and millions of dollars, and they will claim that, you know, Rick Spielman said the other day, I knew Diggs had a chip on his shoulder. Well... You drafted him in the fifth round. Right, exactly. So, like, you picked a lot of other people. You know, I mean, not that uh, some of the other picks in that draft are really good, but, you know, 
you draft in the fifth round. And that's what I'm saying. Is so like, how, how does he you not miss go? too? Everyone and missed. Not, and I'm not saying first round. I'm saying like third round. Yeah. Like how how yeah. do the how do the Seattle Seahawks not say, hey, you know what? This kid seems really smart, and I don't get that. Uh, I got a couple notes for you. So. Okay. Uh, number one, uh, your interior line almost certainly is not going to play against the Broncos on Saturday night in preseason game one. Personally, I would not play Kirk Cousins. I don't see an upside for one series with with an interior line that I'm not that certain about. Um, and I also am a little bit confused with, with all the changes in football and all of the intricacies that we see and the defenses that we see. And football evolves, and it evolves constantly. Why, why the, the philosophy on preseason play has not changed? And there's always this thing, and it's changing a little bit now, but, you know, Preseason game one, you play a series, for instance. Preseason game two, you play a couple. Preseason game three, you play the starters do a, a half, and then they start out in the or, and then they they don't play. They sit out, I should say, in the fourth game. If I'm the Vikings, I don't play Cousins in this game because I don't see an upside to five plays. I see a downside, which is he, which is he gets hit. I play him a little bit. Ho- hopefully, Elf Line and Remmers are back in that game. In the second game, I certainly play him third game. And if I really feel like I need to get my team on the same page, I might play him for a series in in the fourth game. But I don't take the chance. I don't want a center I know nothing about. I don't want guards who I don't trust uh, trying to protect an $84 million investment. Oh, now I know more about Cornelius Edison, who will start on Saturday than I ever did before. That's center, okay, go ahead. Because on. he is in, and that's been a big question. And it's like, well, uh, he uh, has got a jersey, and he's <laughs> been around a little. Parents are proud I mean, of him. He got into a few games in Chicago two years ago, I guess. Yep. So maybe, you know, he'll be all right. But I, I'm – in total agreeance with you when it comes to the philosophy of the preseason with these teams is that if, if I owned the team, I would also say to my coach, like you can have the job and you get control of almost everything that you ever want. You it's, you're the guy, you know, the football, you know, the technique of every single player and every single play. And you're an impressive person. You are not playing any of my starters through those stupid four preseason games. That is my one rule for hiring you: is you agree that you are not playing oh, any so you'd hold key them out player. Of the, all. I would. I wouldn't play any key player okay. after what I'm I saw. After what I saw from Sam Bradford in that Packers game yep. when he debuted and had only practice here, yep. and then he's hitting digs on forty-five yard bombs. Like, okay, this guy didn't need to with practice. an offense. He he supposedly right. didn't know too. So. Right, this guy didn't need preseason. Point. Yep. He didn't need preseason at all, and probably a lot of things even in training camp these guys are so good a lot of them you could just show it to them on tape walk through it once and they've got it so you're talking about flying to denver going through all this stuff playing a game it's it's i think it's really for the nfl uh about just getting a little bit extra revenue otherwise they cut it down and it's for the guys who are trying to make the team absolutely so like i keep saying heck yes play the fourth string guy maybe you got somebody there right but like if you're talking about playing a a top quarterback yeah i mean i don't see one series you're probably going to be fine he's got no injury history i'm sure that denver's not going 110 percent trying to hurt him but overall why play him a half in the third preseason game what the hell is the point in that there is none so yeah, I think the philosophy, it's very much like punting. And they'll claim it's to get on the same page. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. they'll wave the flag for. Yeah. And they'll, they'll say it's continuity and it's to get on the same page. Yeah. But, but my problem is this, at least for the Denver game, you're going to have your tackles are going to start, and those are your starters, and that's it. So, like, if my offense is trying to get on the same page and Cousins is trying to learn it, his center's not playing. Okay, yep. that's a big loss yep. right there. His guards aren't playing. So it's like, so he's going to throw to Diggs and Thielen for a series, but he's probably going to be rushed because the interior of the line's gone. So now he's going to probably throw screen passes. Like, there's just no upside to it. No, it's uh, it's it's not something that I would want to do. So but but it's going to be, yeah, I mean, I, when you guys asked me on the air, I was kind of saying what I think is going to happen. Oh, and gotcha, like, okay. okay, yeah, I think they're just going to play him for a series and no big deal, which is what I would expect to happen. They want to show their fans that he's the quarterback of the team. Here's what he looks like in the jersey. Get Five excited. Season. Yeah, but you have a month to go before the season starts. Right. This is It is an un, un, unnecessary practice, and it reminds me of how everyone at the 38-yard line will still cough in corner punt. You're like, yeah, that's about the most – Football is inf- incredible because in some ways it evolves and changes as much or more than any sport, and in some ways it yeah. holds to these fundamentals. Yeah, and four preseason games and how guys are played 
uh, certainly hold to hold to longtime beliefs. Uh, my other question for you is this: What's your uh, dime store theory on Anthony Barr? He didn't practice yesterday, mm-hmm. and it got overlooked basically because of the dust up uh, the day before practice, and then the walkthrough with uh, Diggs and Rhodes. Uh, but you know, he continues to not have a contract extension, I should say. Uh, his coach a week ago Friday came out and and gave an impromptu press conference about a report that we don't even think existed about him being traded. I did follow up, by the way. Uh, I asked him again. I saw you did, and he <laughs> said I addressed that. But I just I'm curious. Do you think there's something? This feels my spidey instincts feel weird about this yeah, one. Like yeah. something's go, and, and I'm not even saying it, it's going to be a terrible thing. But it feels like behind the scenes something is going on here that could become a distraction. Uh, it doesn't feel normal. I have not felt really since the beginning of 2016 like Anthony Barr and the Vikings were entirely on the same page. And that goes for, you know, Mike Zimmer and going back to his comments about Barr. And I totally buy into what Zimmer says that he's extremely intelligent and he's the guy who barks out the calls and he's important to uh, the defense, like vitally important to what they've done. I do believe his value is probably higher than what his PFF score is. Uh, because of his versatility and the number of different things you can do with him. I've come around a little bit on that. And Zimmer brought up, that was a great point, talking about, well, you can rush him off the edge and you can have him do this. And he understands all of those things. Okay, that's right. That And that goes beyond tackling guys or covering a, a, a tight end or something like that. So I'm I'm with paying Anthony Barr if it's within reason. But I think that Barr might be just a little different than these other guys where maybe Diggs says, Wow, I'd really like to cash in right now. And not only that, but I really love it here. And I really love this team. And I feel so great about the guys in the locker room and all that stuff. Barr may like his teammates, but he also might go, whatever, man. I'm trying to get the most money that I can possibly get. I would never blame a player for that, but that's my read on it is Anthony Barr wants the most money he could possibly get, and he doesn't care if it's here or Jacksonville or Tampa Bay or Carolina or it doesn't matter to him. And that's just a little different from the other players that we've seen sign these extensions where Kendricks, Kendricks could have waited a lot longer, but he just signed on and said he wanted to get it over with. And Hunter could have done the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, they, they've had a lot of guys take very nice contracts. They're, they're not poor. Um, the bar thing, though, it's I guess where I find it a little bit odd is, is his fifth-year option calls for $12 million plus, correct? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I understand that he's in the last year of his rookie contract, but nonetheless, he's being really well compensated. Right. Aaron Donald on his on his option right now, same thing, is due to make like $8 million plus, and thus he's holding out. And I get that. He's a phenomenal player. But I guess it's not like it's not like Barr's not going to be compensated fairly. So I just find this whole thing, this whole sort of like dance between the team and him to be intriguing. And there's enough like sideshow stuff that keeps happening where it, it – doesn't scream to me it says to me that something it seems amiss here if he was if he was going to make two million dollars i could see it i could see saying believe this i'm not yeah, doing it yeah but you're going to make a big chunk of change i mean that's more than, than a fair option so it just feels sort of weird one of the big problems is that mike zimmer has such disdain for the media even though he's as honest as he is but he thinks that they're out to get him all the time. And so he tries to hide stuff, but then makes it worse. Like he's, he oh, is, he yes. is one of the worst ever at doing this dance to kind of put out fires. And all he does is just add fuel to it. I mean, days after the Anthony Barr press conference, NFL.com has a headline up. Are they going to trade Barr? <laughs> he, he, he called a press conference to shoot down a report that well, n- no one could figure out where it came from. It's right. not like Schefter. Or, you know, somebody from a major outlet broke this story. Why would you do that? I mean, right. the man despises press conferences, and yet he called an impromptu one to shoot down something that, that didn't exist. And I'm amazed that the team didn't say, Mike, you're not going to do that. Like, we don't need that. We, I, we don't need to go there. I get the impression that some people tried, but Zimmer makes his own rules around here. Um, yeah, and you know what? When it comes, I, I will say this for him. He's 61, 62 now? 62, yeah. Okay. I will say this. If I could talk to him, I would say, Mike, you're incredible. You're a brilliant football guy, and you're a lifer, and you're aw- that's awesome. I respect that greatly. As far as the media stuff goes, I'd listen to my people. <laughs> yes. 
because yeah. you know, and they have some great people here. Well, too. they do, but I mean, you know, they tried to tell him when he got all bent out out of shape about about the whole uh, stuffed, uh, stuffed animals. An, animal deal, and they tried to tell him just ignore it, forget about it, and he couldn't do it. And it's like, Mike, this is this is consuming time you don't need to consume. Yeah, calling an impromptu press conference to shoot down a report that nobody saw. It was just sort of odd. It was sort of weird. So, But not only that, but when Barr misses practice, they won't say why. And then it was, well, he tweaked something. I'm like, okay. Did yeah, which really? I don't buy. That right. Do you really? I, yeah. I mean, Linval sat out a day, and Linval told us, hey, I'm just trying to be 100% for the real season. I yeah. see the long game. So that's fine. If they just said, oh, man, I mean, he's a veteran player. He doesn't need to practice today. He's just getting a day off. We've done this a bunch of days in a row. That would have been fine. But instead, it has to be a whole thing of like, oh, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. So it's like, okay, well, now it makes it seem like there's something else going on, and maybe there is. So I think it's worth watching throughout this preseason. Once they get into the regular season, it probably goes away. But – as far as, you know, are they doing a dance with a potential extension? Could he, toward the end of camp, start to get even more frustrated? Say, could he disappear? That, yeah. That becomes yeah. my question. That would be a big like, problem. Is like, are, are we looking at basically a passive boycott right now where, where he's not at consistently taking part in team drills? And then he says, okay, after uh, the third preseason game, it's still not done. Mm-hmm. I'm hightailing at home now. Yeah, like, I don't know. That becomes my question. And uh, if, I'm the, if I'm the Vikings – I would not want things as vague as they've become publicly. I don't think it's helping either side. And, you know, once again, no matter what teams or coaches or players say, distractions exist. And how you handle those distractions, especially when expectations are this high, become very important. Mm -hmm. And if you can bury them as quickly as possible, that's a really smart move. And if you don't, it bites you in the butt. So much preseason football, Judd. I'm so excited because we're we're, uh, taping this on Thursday and tonight. 12 games. 12 games, 12 games, including the uh, Packers and Titans, I believe, in Green Bay. So All those guys I watched tape Get a on. big, big look at the Packers for the first time. The, the, the one team in the NFC North that I think possibly could derail the Vikings. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Like bears, That's it. Though. That's I'm not it. Too concerned this about only the Bears. Go, this only goes I'm not in concerned a weird place. about the Bears. This only goes in a weird place after you start doing, doing that voice. No, 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 no. We got bad reviews on the Outcast. What happened on the Outcast? Oh, gosh. I got a couple tweets from pe- oh, people that didn't like it. It was not like good. It. it was not good. Not only your song selection, but also you trying to sing it. It just went very badly. We got. I had an idea for a, hundreds of people. I had an idea for a song. No, Teddy, Sam, and Case. Oh gosh. Anybody nope, here? Nope. I'm See ending my this. old friend en- Teddy. Oh gosh, I'm ending Can this. You tell Bye, me everyone. Thank you. He's the South Dakota stories. Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.